Matthew chapter 22, as you see there. I'll be reading verses. Uh, <laughs> it's all over the place. Maybe you just take it. <laughs> okay. Do I have to tip you? Okay, good. All right, so we're going to look this morning. You don't want to hear about this. Paying taxes. Paying taxes from Matthew 22, beginning in verse 15. Please stand together with me out of honor to God and His Word as I read. Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Master, we know that you are true, and you teach the way of God in truth. Neither do you care for any man, for you do not not regard the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Thank you. You may be seated. So, paying taxes, paying taxes. So, this whole story begins with uh, the compliment. It begins with the, the compliment. Now, the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus in his words. We read that there in verse 15. It says, The Pharisees took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. And so, they're trying to trap Jesus in his words. And so, they send their own disciples. The Pharisees had disciples. They sent their own disciples and a group called the Herodians to do their dirty work. The Pharisees didn't want to do this. They had their own disciples and the Herodians that would do their dirty work. Now here's what you need to know. The Pharisees were anti-Rome. They hated Rome. But the Herodians were influential Jews that loved Rome. And so you've got uh, two opposing parties here. You've got the Pharisees and their disciples, which have been an anti-Rome. And you've got the Herodians who are pro-Rome. But you know what they say, politics makes strange bedfellows, right? So you've got these people that are opposed to each other, and yet they team up in opposition to Jesus. And the compliment is that they actually spoke the truth concerning Jesus. Notice here in verse 16, they call him master or teacher. He certainly was. They declared that he was true. He was a man of integrity. Certainly he was. They acknowledged that he taught the truth about God. He did that. And they said, you know, we notice you treat everyone fairly regardless of their position. And that was Jesus too. And so they began buttering Jesus up with this big compliment. Hey, you're the teacher. Uh, You're the man of integrity. Uh, You teach the truth about God. You treat everyone fairly. They were buttering him up. The compliment. Now, speaking of compliments, there was a wife. She was getting ready for work in the morning, staring into the mirror. And she said to her husband, Look at me. I'm old, I'm fat, and I look like I haven't slept for a week. I really need you to give me a compliment. So her husband looked her over and he said, Well, your eyesight seems to be perfect. (laughs) So they pay this compliment. Jesus knew what they were doing. He knew what they were doing. Look in verse 18. But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you tempt me, you hypocrites? He knew exactly what they were doing. He perceived their wickedness. He even asked them why they were bothering to tempt him. And while Jesus knew what they were doing, they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know with whom they were dealing here with Jesus. They were so out of their league trying to trap Jesus, trying to trick Jesus, trying to, trying to confuse Him or, or trick Him in His words. They were so out of their league. Why? You say, well, that was easy. Jesus is God. Yeah, but set that aside. Jesus is God. But just set that aside for a moment. Don't forget it. It's very important, but just set it aside. They didn't realize who they were dealing with because Jesus was brilliant. And Jesus was completely unhindered by sin. You see, sin doesn't just affect our relationships with God and our relationships with each other. Sin affects our entire person, including our intellect. 
And so it doesn't matter how smart you are, how smart you think you are here, if you didn't have sin, you'd be way smarter. Well, Jesus had no sin. And so not only was He God, He was brilliant, unhindered by sin. These people had no idea who they were dealing with. Jesus knew exactly what they were doing. They didn't know what they were doing. So they start with the compliment. And secondly, they lead to the question. And here's the question. Should a Jew pay taxes to Caesar? Now here's why this was a trap. Here's why it was a trick question. If Jesus responded yes, he would be supporting paganism and idolatry. If Jesus responded no, he'd be an enemy of the state. So they ask you a question. How do you answer it? Yes is the wrong answer, and no is the wrong answer. <laughs> what could you say? Again, they didn't realize who they were dealing with. Jesus was brilliant. We'll see his answer in just a minute. So what did Jesus do when they asked him this question, that either answering yes or no, both were the wrong answer, what does Jesus do? Well, verse 18, I already read it. He recognized the trap. He said, it's perceived, verse 18 says, that Jesus perceived their wickedness. He recognized the trap. And then he answered their question with a question and with a remarkable answer. But let's pause here and let me ask, bring it forward to our day and time. Should we believers pay taxes to corrupt governments? I love the United States of America. I think we have the best form of government on the face of the earth. But I'm not too naive to think that our government is not corrupt. It is corrupt. Through and through, it's corrupt. Okay? So, should I as a believer, and should you as a believer, should we pay taxes to a government that is corrupt? Well, governments, even like ours, do much evil, but they also do a lot of good. And we are to give them their due. We're going to see that's Jesus' response. We're to give our governments their due. As you're going to see in a few minutes, these governments, even our own, has been ordained by God. And this is our Christian responsibility to give our government their due, their taxes. Now, we can pay the least amount of tax required by law, but we are not to avoid tax, like not reporting income or getting paid under the table. That is not the Christian way. We can pay the least amount required by law. And if you don't know what that amount is, go see Mike over there. He's an accountant. He can help you pay the least amount allowed by law, but you can't avoid tax altogether. And here's the good news. In the United States... We can change our government. If our government becomes so corrupt, we can change our government. We are free to protest our government. We can run for office if we want to. We certainly can vote. Every, every now and again we can vote. And let me pause and ask you this. Are you registered to vote, Christian? Are you registered to vote? And when the time comes around, are you voting? You might say, well, it doesn't do any good. You don't know that. Not only is our Christian responsibility to pay our taxes, it is our Christian responsibility in a representative democracy like we have here to vote. And so, should we pay taxes to Caesar? Should we pay taxes to corrupt governments? Yes, it is our Christian responsibility, but we can also protest, run for office ourselves, vote. Uh, so these are all things we can do. So we've seen the compliment, we've seen the question. So let's look thirdly at the coin. Jesus took a coin... And he asked whose picture was on it. Let me read that, beginning in verse 19. Show me the tribute money. And they brought to him a penny. And he said unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? And they said unto him, Caesar's. Therefore he said unto them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. This is the remarkable answer. If he answered yes, he's wrong. If he answers no, he's wrong. He doesn't answer yes or no. He says you give Caesar what Caesar gets, and you give God what God gets perfect answer from a brilliant man unhindered by sin. 
So when he asked whose picture's on this coin, they said, well, it's Caesar's. Now, something you don't get in the text here, but I've seen these coins, the coin also said something else. It said, Divas et Pontifex Maximus, which means God and High Priest. So not only was there a picture of Caesar on there, but there was an inscription that said, He is God and He's the High Priest. It's no wonder the Jews didn't want to pay their taxes. Because first of all, the coin had Caesar's image, which would violate one of the Ten Commandments. And secondly, the coin claimed that Caesar was God. But what does Jesus say? He says, well, Caesar's picture's on here. It must belong to Caesar. Give it to him. You give God what belongs to him. Again, looking at that image, when Jesus asked whose image is on this coin, the coin bore Caesar's image, so it belonged to him. We bear God's image, so we belong to God. But what does it mean to be made in God's image? We know we're all made in God's image. The Bible tells us that right in the very first chapter of your Bible. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. But what does that mean to be made in the image of God? Well, theologians have actually argued about this for millennia, for a couple thousand years. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? And it's not one thing. It's actually multiple things, some of which are these. First of all, to be made in the image of God means that we are rational creatures. We can think through stuff. We're rational. Secondly, to be made in the image of God means that we are emotional. We have emotions. Do you know why we have emotions? We have emotions because God has emotions. You read in the Bible, God is joyful, God is sorrowful, God has emotions. And we have the full range of emotions because we get that from God, our Father. To be made in God's image is to be rational, to be emotional, to be spiritual. We have a spiritual component to us. Fourthly, to be made in the image of God means we are eternal. We're going to exist forever. Now, you can spend eternity in heaven, you can spend eternity in hell, but you're going to exist forever because we are eternal. And fifthly, and perhaps the most confusing aspect of being made in the image of God is that we are physical. Now, the reason I say that, I know God is spirit, but think about it. Throughout the, the millennia, God revealed himself in many different ways. He revealed himself through the written word. He revealed himself through prophets. But Hebrews chapter 1 says, but in these last days, God has finally and ultimately revealed himself through his son, Jesus Christ, who came physically as a human being. So even being made in the image of God, there is that physical component in that God in his ultimate revelation of himself to us came as a human being, physically as a man. And so the coin bore Caesar's image. Jesus says, that's his. Give it back to him. You bear God's image. Give that to him. So here's the lesson. We owe our government. We owe our government. First of all, we owe our government our taxes. We owe our government our taxes. Let me show you from the scriptures where it says that. Romans 13, beginning in verse 6. For to this cause pay tribute or taxes also, for they are God's ministers ascending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. We owe our government our taxes. And do you realize governments, no matter what they are, have been ordained by God? Again, Paul in Romans 13 and verse 1. Let every soul be subject to the higher powers. That's talking about, not talking about God, it's talking about government. Let every soul be subject to the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. And according to verse 4 of chapter 13 there, Paul says here's why God has ordained governments. Number one, to serve the people. And number two, to punish criminals. Even when our taxes are being used unjustly, we are to continue to pay 
our taxes. Again, if you don't like it, you can run for office, you can vote, all those things we talked about before. But even when our taxes are being used unjustly, we must pay taxes. How do I know? Because when Paul wrote these words here in Romans chapter 13, he was writing concerning the pagan, corrupt Roman government who Caesar thought he himself was God. And Paul said, yes, we still need to pay taxes to this jerk that thinks he's God. Tax money is used for many corrupt things. But tax money is also used for many good things. Like good roads that can carry the gospel. Like protection from foreign invaders and protection of the right to free speech and worship, which we are exercising right now. Our taxes are used to fund judges and jails to punish criminals. And so we owe our government our taxes. But that's not all we owe. We also owe our government our prayers. Our prayers. Paul writes about that in 1 Timothy 2, beginning in verse 1. He says, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, there's there's your government leaders, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. So we owe government not only our taxes, our prayers, And thirdly, we owe a government our voices. Again, in a representative republic like we have here, we owe our government our voices. We can express our opinions verbally. We can express our opinions in a written form. We can vote our consciences. And lastly, we owe our government our lives when necessary. And let me just pause and say, I am so grateful for those who died for the freedoms we enjoyed today. Men and women, whether they died on our soil or they died uh, on international soil, Securing the freedoms that you and I joy that we are experiencing right now at this moment. I am grateful. And I know you are grateful too for those who gave their lives so that we might be free. So we owe our government. That's the lesson. But secondly, I want you to know that we owe God. As the coin here bore Caesar's image, we bear God's image. We're made in God's image. And what do we owe God? Well, first of all, we owe Him our entire self. We owe Him our entire self. Look over to verse 37. Jesus said unto him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. What's he saying? He's saying we need to give God our entire self, our heart, our soul, our mind. And when you read this same passage in Mark chapter 12 and verse 30, Mark adds our strength too. So what do we owe God? Our entire selves. Our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Secondly, we owe God our best efforts of service to Him, whether it's our time, our talents, our resources. And yes, we even owe God our finances. But know this, we owe God our finances, but only once we've given ourselves to Him. Only once you have received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, believing He died, was buried, and rose again from the dead for you. Only then are you obligated to share your finances. You must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And having believed in Him and received Him, then you owe your finances. But by the way, if you're an unbeliever here, You're under no obligation to give whatsoever. As an unbeliever, having never received Christ as your Savior, you don't have any obligation to give at all. In fact, your giving is actually an abomination to God. Look here at Proverbs 15 and verse 8. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. So if you want to make the foolish decision of remaining an unbeliever, the only good part about that I can see is when the offering plate passes, you don't have to put anything in. All right, That's the only good thing about not being a believer. But we who are believers, we are to support those who teach us God's Word. 
We are to support those who teach us God's word. Look at Galatians 6.6. 6. Let him that is taught in the word communicate or share with him that teaches in all good things. And so as believers, we are to support those who teach the word. And Paul gives us a great example for giving in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 2. He says, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Notice Paul doesn't say, make sure you give 10%, make sure you give the tithe, make sure you do this or that. He says, here's how I want you to give. And the first thing he mentions is that we are to give individually. He says, let every one of you. And so we are to give individually. Secondly, we are to give regularly. He says, upon the first day of the week. Now, back in the first century, you know what the first day of the week was? Sunday, the same as it is today. And so he's saying, when you come to church on Sunday, that's when you give. So we are to give individually. We are to give regularly, even weekly according to this. And thirdly, we are to give proportionally. Notice he says, give as God has prospered you. Give as God has prospered you. So this is the example for New Testament giving. We are to give individually. We are to give regularly, and we are to give proportionally. Now let me tell you this. God is not interested in our money other than as a token to prove that He is more important than our money is. I mean, think about it. God owns the entire universe. What are you going to give Him? What are you going to give Him that He doesn't already have? There is nothing you can give Him that He doesn't already have. But when we give our finances, when we make these sacrifices, we are proving to Him and to us that He's number one. He's the most important. And so let's just be frank right now. You're giving Caesar his due. All right, you're rendering to the government what you owe. I know you are because you're here. Otherwise, you'd be sitting in jail somewhere, right? Or you'd be paying lots of fines or whatever. So I know you are giving Caesar his due. But are you giving God his due? Remember what Jesus said. He didn't answer yes. He didn't answer no. He says, render unto Caesar what's Caesar's. Render unto God what's God. Caesar is getting his from you. He's getting what's his from me. But what about God? What about God? Okay, let me go a step further. Are you giving Caesar more than his due? I've never met anybody that wants to pay more taxes. I don't know about you. I've never met anybody that wants to say, you know what, I don't pay enough, I need to pay. I hear people on TV say that, but when it comes down to it, and they open up an account, they say, well, you can send your extra taxes in here, nobody ever sends any. Nobody wants to pay more taxes, or do they? I want you to know that state-run gambling is taxation. State-run gambling is taxation. Yes, it's voluntary taxation, but it's still taxation. But what do you mean state-run gambling? I'm talking about the lotto, the lottery, those kind of things. Not only is it voluntary, but it's regressive. State-run gambling affects the poor more than wealthy. It preys on the poor. I'm sure you've seen people buy lotto or lottery tickets. I don't know a lot about gambling, but uh, whatever it's called. I, I'm, I've seen people in the gas stations buy those, and I'm sure you've seen it too. I've never seen somebody pull up in a big, long limousine getting out with gold all over them and go buy a lottery ticket. You know why? Because the rich people are smart. The poor people think that they're going to get rich, and they think that lottery or lotto is the way. And so it's a regressive tax. Yes, it's voluntary. Nobody makes them do it. But it's regressive. Gambling, my friends, in all its forms is evil. And it's also a trap. You remember how they tried to trap Jesus in his words. Well, gambling is also a trap. Let me inform you of this, that gambling breaks six of the Ten Commandments. That's another sermon. But it breaks six of the Ten Commandments. Now, tell me this. Can something be good that breaks more than half of the Ten Commandments? No way. 
No way. Not only that, gambling is destructive. It's destructive personally, leading to addiction in many people. It is destructive societally in that it promotes crime. And it's destructive economically. You said, no, it's not. It's not destructive economically at all. Because I heard on TV it says it helps senior citizens. Well, there's not too many citizens more senior than my parents. They've never received a penny from gambling. You might say, well, people, it's just their entertainment money that they go to the casino. Okay. Well, if they go and they lose their money at the casino, they're not going out to dinner. They're not going to the movies. See? It's destructive economically. And not only that, but gambling is contrary to our call as Christians. We are to help the helpless. We are to help the poor. We are to help the needy. We're not supposed to take advantage of them. But when we support gambling, we are not helping the helpless. We're hurting them. We're not helping the poor. We're hurting them. We're not helping the needy. We're hurting them. And gambling is profiting from other people's misfortune. If you win, guess what? Somebody else lost. That's how that works. Not everybody wins. Very few people win. But in order for you to get your winning, somebody has to lose. You say, Brother Gary, you don't understand. I gamble, but it's for a good cause. Not only do I help senior citizens, right, but it, it helps my club down the street. It, it helps my church. Uh, my church has bingo or whatever the case might be. It's for a good cause. Well, let me ask the same question that Paul did. Shall we do evil that good may come? Look here at Romans chapter 3 and verse 8. And not rather as we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm we say, let us do evil that good may come. Oh yeah, I gamble, but look how much good comes from it. Look how many senior citizens are helped. Give me a break. Let me tell you this. If it's a good cause, that, that club down the street, that club where you volunteer, if it's a good cause, support it. Just don't gamble. You don't have to play bingo to support it. You don't have to do a gun bash or whatever they do to support it. If somebody comes to you and says, look, I want you to support this thing, and it's a 50-50 ticket, say, I don't want the ticket. I'm not a gambler. But here's some money. I want to support your cause. See how you can support without gambling? It works. It's okay. It's okay. And by the way, if this group needs the money so bad, how could you possibly take the winnings? Wouldn't that be the height of hypocrisy? Well, they're doing this, they're gambling so that it doesn't get this money that they really, really need. And if I win, I'm going to take the money. No, it doesn't. that's hypocrisy. My friends, as Christians, we must reject all forms of gambling on principle. Whether it's lottery, bingo, raffles, bashes, casinos. Again, I'm not real, I'm not real uh, up on the verbiage. I don't know what all these games are. But whatever they are, we must reject all forms of gambling on principle. And if it's a good cause, support it. You don't have to gamble. You can just donate your money straight out. You're probably going to lose anyway. So just donate the money. You support the cause. You don't gamble. You don't in so doing break six of the Ten Commandments. And so this morning, we looked at paying taxes. First of all, we looked at the compliment. These folks... They start buttering Jesus up. They pay Him this big compliment. They were right in everything they said. Jesus knew what they were doing. They had no idea what they were doing. They didn't know with whom they were dealing. He was brilliant. Not just because He was God. He was brilliant. He was unhindered by sin. 
And so secondly, they ask him a question. Do we pay taxes to Caesar? No matter how he answered, yes, that's the wrong answer. No, that's the wrong answer. Jesus recognized their trap. He answered their question with a question and a remarkable answer. He says, you give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. You give to God what belongs to God. And so then we look thirdly at the coin. Jesus says, whose image is on here? They said, Caesar. He said, well, it must be his. Give it to him. Whose image is on us? God's. Well, we must belong to God. Give God what we owe. What do we owe him? We owe him our entire lives. We owe him our time, our talents, our resources. We owe him our finances only once we are believers in his son, Jesus Christ. What did we learn today? We owe our government our taxes. We owe our government our prayers. We owe our government our voices. We owe our government our lives if necessary. But we also owe God our entire selves, our best efforts of service to him, and our finances. As I mentioned, I already know you're giving Caesar his due. Are you giving God his due? And maybe you're one of these that's giving Caesar even more than his due. You are voluntarily paying more taxes. What is wrong with you? Because state-run gambling is taxation. It's voluntary. It's regressive. It breaks six of the Ten Commandments. It is contrary to our call as Christians. Let us reject all forms of gambling based on principle. And if there's a good cause out there you want to support, and they're raising money through gambling, support it. Just don't gamble. Perhaps you're here today. You've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. That's where this all begins. Invite Jesus Christ in your heart. I talked about that before observing the Lord's Supper. I talked about it in this message. You might need Jesus Christ to come in your heart to be your Savior right here, right now, today. Believe that He died on the cross to pay for your sins, that He was buried for your sins, and He rose again the third day. That's all there is to it? That's all there is to it. Receive Him and be saved today, now. And Christian, are you a gambler? Well, it's for a good cause, Brother Gary. You can't break six of the Ten Commandments for a good cause. Support the good cause. Just don't gamble. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for teaching us. We thank you for this time of worship. And now it's time to make decisions. Maybe there's somebody here who needs to receive Christ as Savior. Give them grace and faith to believe. Maybe there's some Christians here who didn't realize that, you know, playing the lottery, that there was something wrong with that. Now we know. May we live pure lives that bring honor and glory to you. Move in this time of invitation. We thank you in Jesus' name.